Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I hope you all had a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. I did not have a good Memorial Golf Tournament over in the fine parts of Dublin, Ohio. Too much rain, but you know what? That was yesterday. This is today. And we have a fantastic show lined up for you to continue to help try to build our edge in fantasy football. And I present to you a very great guest today. He actually works for a company with Edge in its name. You probably know them better as Roto World. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. Kyle Dorverchak. Kyle, man, you've been around the industry. You came on my radar back in our days at Fantasy Labs. I've always appreciated the way that, you know, you don't just go on and do the same freaking article that seemingly every fantasy analyst from the end of time has done. You got some good crea- creativity in there. You built yourself up. And now you are a full-time member over with the artists formerly known as Roto World. So first, congrats. Second, thanks for coming on. And third, happy June 4th, man. What a day. Yeah, we we um we have worked together. We worked at labs together. We briefly worked at NBC or I guess at the time Roto World together. And I worked at PFF last year before I was a full timer. And uh, so I've kind of just been riding your coattails and it has been <laughs> wildly successful. Like it has just got me in the in the door, my foot in the door at every single stop. So uh, I truly am gracious to you. And uh, to PFF, I had a, you know, I, it can only last so long before I have to like grow up and take a full-time job somewhere, <laughs> but I did have a great time working for PFF last year. And, uh, you know, I, I use this stuff all the time. So I definitely am uh, like, uh, I'll show for the products, even if I no longer am <laughs> actually an employee or a contracted employee there. We're sad to he- see you go, but obviously, man, if I didn't like you, I wouldn't be having you on the podcast today. So here we are. Good things all around. I've gotten Kyle our 10 questions for this episode, focusing a bit on some of the news for over the past few weeks and some QB controversies to boot. So without further ado, let's get after it, my friend. First off, Anthony Lynn just keeps making headlines and confusing off this backfield that nobody was exactly dying to get a piece of to begin with. But, you know, DeAndre Swift was pretty awesome last year with his opportunities. And I think he did finish as a top 20 RB, even in a similarly disastrous situation. But now we got Anthony Lynn saying he's going to not only ride the hot hand at running back on game day, but they're also flirting more than ever with Todd Gurley, uh, potentially signing him. And again, it's so sad that Todd Gurley, 26 years old, you know, two, three years removed from being one of the best running backs in football has come to this point where we're like, why would anybody want to sign him? That is where we've reached. Kyle, it's going to be Swift. It's going to be Jamal Williams. And if it's not going to be Gurley, clearly they at least want to kind of add a third guy into this picture. What's your take on this Detroit Lions RBBC at the moment? So am I correct in, in saying you guys had DeAndre Swift on one of your podcasts recently? Yeah, he came on right here. Great guy. So I, I don't, uh, it, it does not bring me any pleasure then to say that like, no, I don't want any part of this backfield. We love the talent, right? But there's just only so much a running back can overcome. And he's going to have to overcome what seems like a coach ripped out of like an unsuccessful 1960s team, not even one of the teams that like ran their running back to 1700 yards in a Super Bowl win. Like it seems like this is going to be both an ineffective and inefficient offense. Like they're not going to be high volume, but bad. They're just going to be bad, but bad. The only things he has going for him is he's wildly talented. Like I think he was had like a a reasonable argument to be like one of the best running backs in the past five or so years, at least in terms of his prospects. Like you look at his college resume, he didn't have a ton of touches, but God, he was efficient with those touches. He's a great pass catcher. Like he seems to have an act for finding the end zone. Are they going to get within 20 yards of the end zone very often? It doesn't seem like that. So I think if you could guarantee me he got every single touch on this on this not that good seemingly offense, I'd want it. You can't even come close to making that guarantee. Jamal Williams has made a career out of taking touches away from a back that we want to see get 300 touches. Todd Gurley is the he's going to be the guy who plays till he's 30, gets 150 touches, and we never want those touches. We only want to give them to another player. It's it's pains me to say because I think he's awesome, but no, I'm probably going to be having almost no DeAndre Swift this year. Yeah, he's kind of in a free fall in the whole RB2 landscape right now. Again, if we could give him 300 plus touches, like I think he'd be a top 10 guy just compared to what yeah. he could make out of those compared to, you know, similarly ranked players. Unfortunately, that's not the reality we're living in. And it really wasn't even last year. Like when the whole Jamal Williams thing originally came out, how he's going to be the A back and Swift might be the change of pace guy. Like that wasn't the end of the world. Adrian Peterson had 156 carries and Swift only had 114 last year. He was already the number two running back in rush attempts. What we can't have is someone like Jamal, who is a much better receiver than AP. And then having someone like Todd Gurley come in and be more than what carry on Johnson was last year, which was, you know, 52 carries, 19 receptions and 16 games. So all of a sudden, if we're going to limit what Swift is doing even more and then add a third back into the group, it's just a problem people. And we don't need to tell you like how bad this Lions offense looks on 
paper going through this year. So we need that Alvin Kamara role. Like we need Swift to have 70, 80 receptions next year for him yeah. to really overcome the likely touchdown regression. I mean, 10 touchdowns in 13 games probably isn't going to happen again and just really overcoming the rest of the backs in the backfield. So yeah, DeAndre Swift, Great real-life player. If I was signing up to be a GM, I would want him on my team. Unfortunately, that's not the game we're playing in Fantasyland. I think, you know, in that range, if it's close, I'd probably take the other guy. Kyle, another running back in that range that is starting to drop just a little bit, maybe not depending on what coach speak you decide to look at during the week. But Antonio Gibson still rehabbing from that toe injury that actually forced him to miss two games near the end of the season. He's practicing just apparently not at 100%. At the same time, we got Ron Rivera saying, you know, he's expecting just a great year, big things ahead for him does this toe injury news change anything for you at gibson entering 2021 and i guess like where does he fall in your ranks um it scares me because i already have a lot of him and i'm not stopping now like uh, at this <laughs> point i'm in i'm in all the way and it's really interesting because he came out as like hardly a running back like there were you know there was speculation that he would play wide receiver some hybrid role yeah. at the pro level and what did they do do with him they turn him into this two down banger and he was good at it but it, it shows us to me at least that he is a complete back like we have we should at least have no questions that he can catch passes like that is literally was his job he was not a running back in college he was a dynamic weapon and primarily a pass catcher so if we know now that he can be the between the tackles guy which he showed us last year we know like from his entire body of work from the position he played in college that he's an incredible receiver yeah. he is the the perfect package and now he's not going to be playing on this like Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, <laughs> Kyle Allen offense. No discredit to any of those guys. Comeback, uh, reigning comeback player of the year included. But like Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to support a better, more fun, more red zone efficient offense than we saw last year. He could, you know, they've still got J.D. McKissick. I'm not saying he's going to get 300 touches, but he was good last year on an offense that wasn't really that exciting. One that we weren't particularly targeting outside of Terry McLaurin for his crazy target share and Logan Thomas for the same reasons. They were, it was a volume offense. We just wanted them because they were guys who could get the ball a lot. Now they're guys who could get the ball a lot and are also talented with a talented quarterback under center. For me, you know, I, sure, the toe injury, it, it's more of just like, I hope it's not a problem because I'm going all in anyways. It's just not a big enough concern to me to back off my, my bullishness on Antonio Gibson. And like he's practicing. It's not like this thing's keeping him he's out. Fine. He didn't he's have some re-flare up. I mean, I saw him. He was doing one of the bag drills where they're chopping their feet between the bags. He's slamming that toe on the ground. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> got, I hope he's fine. We got some practice film, you know, building in the priors now, people. This is June. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you overall. I do think, like, where is he specifically in your ranks? I have him RB13 behind Jonathan Taylor, behind Mixon, behind Cam Akers. I guess for me, the toe injury is going to prohibit me from moving him too far up, you know, past that spot. But he's still anyone's idea of a borderline RB1 at worst. Yeah, I think he is probably in that. I would say he's probably my favorite of the borderline RB ones. Okay. I think of of all the guys, like for me, I think he's got probably a similar role to Joe Mixon. Yeah. But I don't know, man. This uh, I'm not entirely sold on the Cincinnati offense. So I would take him. You know, I guess health concerns aside, I'd probably take him over someone like Joe Mix. And I think for me, there's probably a cutoff at like eight, nine, ten, where you've got. I know in like underdog ADP, I think it's like. Aaron Jones is in that range. Nick Chubb is in that range. Austin Eckler is in that range. He's probably my favorite of the next group of guys. And just to keep everyone updated, you know, I know we've talked about the Antonio Gibson nickname we want to do. So I did a Twitter poll. I did DC CMC versus DCMC. DCMC won the landslide, but, and I apologize for missing your name. I'll, I'll give you a shout out in the future. Someone suggested AGDC which, you know, with the ACDC vibe, I kind of love it, man. It's not, it doesn't have the Christian McCaffrey like connotation in it, but you know, no, Gibson, I, he's his own guy. He doesn't, yeah, I was going to say that exactly. He's his own guy. He doesn't have to live on the coattails of, of CMC. He can be a different player. And that just sounds cool. Actually, that's way better. That's way better than the other two. I'm going to do another poll. I'll get back to you all next week with the updates, but AG, AGDC, that might, that might be fire. You can put the lightning bolt in the tweet, makes it look good. Good stuff there, man. But it is really the CMC ceiling that we're chasing. And someone did bring up a good point where if you look at McCaffrey in 2017, I mean, he had 113 targets. Like that was the issue with Gibson last year. We couldn't get those targets, but we did see a huge leap in workload. I mean, go, go from 197 touches to 326 to 403. It would make sense if Rivera is getting Gibson more involved. And I think even if he's not going to get a triple digit targets, he could at least get 70, 80, 90, somewhere in that range, because even though McKissick had 110 targets last year, 51 of those position high came in the slot or out wide. So now with Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown, uh, you know, and some 
some of these Adam Humphreys uh, in the slot. I don't think they're going to feel the same sort of need to get McKissick out there. And, you know, you said not to discredit any of those quarterbacks. We can absolutely discredit those other quarterbacks. You mentioned two of the worst, like five quarterbacks in the league last year. So every day I wake up and I say just a little prayer that Kyle Allen does not ruin Curtis Samuel for the second time in three seasons. As long as that doesn't happen, as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick stays under center, I do think Gibson, assuming this toe injury doesn't flare up, will be just fine. Last note here. I want to read this tweet from Mr. I should say Dr. Evan Porras over there at Fantasy Points. He was on this podcast for last season. Great guy, smart doctor, and he does a great job just really explaining how when we say injury prone, it usually is actually isn't, uh, you know, rooted in any sort of actual reason, but per Dr. Porras, Antonio Gibson's toe, the best case is he rehabs through camp. He weans off the foot plate and we never hear about it again. The likely case he rehabs throughout camp, continues to use the foot plate. We get the Wednesday DMP Twitter kind of freaks out. He misses 0.5 to one games, January surgery. That sounds pretty good. Worst case, in-game exasperation, tough word. That's why I'm not a doctor, and surgery. So, you know, Edwin seems to kind of put it out there. He's not overly concerned with it. I will say, though, people, you know, for everyone out there, every time I tweet about Joe Mixon, you say, I'm not falling for this again. He's going to play three games and get hurt. Or Chris Carson. To me, when the guys aren't hurt right now, when they're healthy, that's okay. It is a little bit concerning, though, Kyle, when he is actively dealing with his toe injury. Like, those are the injury notes that we should be bringing up, not somebody who missed, you know. There's a reason why nobody's talking about Christian McCaffrey's injury from last year it's it's not it's a mute point uh you know Keenan Allen used to be injury prone the dude just <laughs> couldn't stay healthy and then all of a sudden he's the best wide receiver in the league I don't know what the best he is like legitimately top five to ten at, at worst and uh yeah like I think Matt Stafford like it's, it's almost before my time because Matt Stafford's been playing so long but he had like a back injury early in his career and it's always like oh man he just he just can't stay healthy and all of a sudden they stay healthy and you know why that is like you said like injury proneness for the most part there are like repeat injuries like concussions are something that actually does have like repeatability but for the most part a lot of these injuries are just like a uh, nonsense they're randomness they're noise they're they're the same as touchdown rates and uh yeah so I, I almost always as long as it's like you said, we're talking about a player who got injured last year. They're fully healthy coming back from it. I, I almost never care. Even like the poster boy for injury prone last year, James Conner, like he still played 13 games and he even had the, you know, maybe his bone density won't be as strong coming back from cancer. Like he actually had more of an injury prone storyline that made sense the most still didn't matter. You know why people, cause it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. It's even harder to predict the volume and it's the hardest to predict when someone's randomly going to get injured. So, you know, with all that said, I cannot wait to see the victory last from all the trolls on Twitter as soon as an NFL player does happen to get injured. But Kyle, we talked about Swift and Gibson now again two underused backs you could easily be three down workhorses let's take a step back though and maybe try to look at guys going under the radar you know the backup RBs that you think could flourish most with the three down role so basically who do you think are the three most talented backup RBs in the league where if they got the Christian McCaffrey 90% snap role what could they do with it and so we'll follow up with this a different question but like Latavius Murray I understand if he gets the job we've seen him have a three down role but Latavius Murray is not a top three most talented backup in the league so give me your top three backups where like oh my god it'd be amazing if they got this you know workhorse Mike Davis esque role uh, so to look ahead to the next question, Tony Pollard fits both. Like Tony yeah. Pollard is the Latavius Murray in that he, once he gets the role, if it were to ever happen, we saw last year, it was like one game or whatever. Uh, he's incredibly talented. He's a great, uh, great pass catcher, great runner, like explosive. Tony Pollard is both the, the most coveted handcuff in terms of the fantasy points that we actually care about, but talented. Like if I were, like if I were a GM, I would want him to, I want him to be my starter. I wouldn't want him to be sitting behind anyone. You know, I'd, we're going to see this all the time. It's never going to happen. He takes snaps at, uh, at wide receivers. The Duke Johnson special is taking snaps at wide receiver in camp. Oh. It's not going to happen, but I would legitimately like, yeah, let's try and get Tony Pollard some, some wide receiver snaps. What do they call Tavon Austin, the web back? Let's make him our web back. I would love to see Tony Pollard on a different team getting more work. Daryl Henderson, like his stats were very similar to Cam Akers last year. Like, you know, his broken tackles, PFF, just run rating. All of these things were like, give or take, they were trading off being really efficient in terms of Cam Akers and, and Daryl Henderson. They just, I like, maybe it's the system. Maybe it's their, I think it's they're both talented in a good system. Like, I don't think either of them are being propped up. I think they're being supported in the fact that they're both good running backs. 
I don't think anything is stopping Cam Akers, though, from just taking over the backfield. It's not happening for Dale Henderson. Like my dynasty shares, whenever the whenever the Rams drafted him to eventually success Todd Gurley, those are those are on fire. But one day, I don't know, maybe we can help. And Philip Lindsay, dude, why? Like how? How does Philip Lindsay go from being the best at the time? James Robinson, I think, surpassed him, but the best UDFA back like in the modern history of football. He was an incredible pass catcher in college, and they don't use him as a pass catcher in Denver. And then he goes to the freaking Texas. Like, you know, this offseason should tell you that if the Texans were the, the highest bid you got, you are not good. But that's not true of Philip Lindsay. It's true of a lot of the players they signed. It's not true of Philip Lindsay, but he somehow still ends up in a, you know, a four, four running back backfield. Philip Lindsay is an incredible runner, and we know from his college resume, he's a great pass catcher, and he's just gonna he's gonna wither away. Like, we'll probably never hear of him again. You know, they'll cut him for Mark Ingram or something truly disgraceful <laughs> and we'll never hear of him. And he's been nothing but incredible since joining the league as UDFA. And it just blows my mind that the league is going to disrespect him like this, but that's not changing. Like I, I can't change anything about that. And also the Texans are terrible. I don't want the running backs anyways, even if you get every single touch on the team. You said, man, I, I think I actually saw maybe the worst tweet of the offseason here from NFL Network's uh, Ian Rappaport this morning. He uh, mentioned how Rex Burkhead's deal with the Texans, yada, yada, and per rap sheet reminds him of the Patriots in the early 2010s. A bunch of low-cost, low-risk veterans. Some will make the team. Some won't essentially take in the players who aren't there because of previous poor drafts. Okay, let's take a look at these quote-unquote low-cost, low-risk veterans because I don't think- he <laughs> I also... didn't see this tweet. This is a gem. Oh my God. 7.57 a.m. Like, come on, man. Well, okay, here are the players that they brought in this year. Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead. Oh, my God, let's get the wide receiver. Andre Roberts, um, Chris Moore, Chris Conley, Alex Erickson, Dante Moncrief, Taiwan Taylor. Like, what the hell, man? No, they are tanking, and that is okay. That is a good long-term move for the franchise to tank. But don't compare these early 2010s Patriots who didn't have anybody for Brady to throw to. Like, that's why they had to get Gronk and Hernandez. Like, they had these teams where Brady just did not, like, that was when, what was it? Edel, like, rookie year Edelman and that other dude who was a thing for a second were getting 15 target games because they had nobody else to throw the ball to. Do not compare those teams. My goodness. I don't even remember what we were talking about before. And then I just got flustered. Oh, yeah, the running back. So with all that said, Philip Lindsay is not going to have anything nice happen to him this year. Unfortunately, because you are correct, uh, other than James RB1 son, the artist formerly known as James RB1 son, we're looking at two drop, uh, two top two UDFAs over the years. I would just say AJ Dillon, Kareem Hunt are also in there, but they're kind of these guys who are standalone options anyway. So I don't think yeah. they necessarily hit the true backup criteria. Okay, so moving on to the next question again. And we've said before, most talented backups, please, people, for the love of God, do not draft Philip Lindsay in your fantasy drafts this year. That is not what we were trying to say. Now we're going to take a step forward with the volume, who are going to be our top three RBs, where if the starter goes down, we want this guy immediately, a la 2020 Mike Davis. We already said, and I agree with you, Tony Pollard is definitely one of those guys. Who's rounding out your top three and just anyone else maybe you considered? Yeah, I think to round out the top three, it would be Alexander Madison. I know they drafted a dude whose name I don't feel comfortable trying to pronounce. I believe he's the uh, the Iowa State running back. New, uh, I don't even want to try. It's like Noang Wu or Noang Wu. But like he was, he was a, he was like a straight up uh, like a committee back backup in college. Whereas like Alexander Madison had a good profile. I don't think he's incredible. I don't think he's on the Philip Lindsay tier of like backups I really want or the Tony Pollard tier. But like I still think Alexander Madison ends up being the guy if anything were to happen to Dalvin cook sort of just the, you know, the Latavius Murray, Tony Pollard mold where they are. We know their names because we've drafted them for three consecutive years. And every year we get, sometimes we get one or two good games, but like we had the Latavius Murray stretch where he was like the RB one, the RB two and back-to-back weeks put up like, it was like 300 or more scrimmage yards because they also just threw to him as if he were Alvin Kamara. <laughs> so to me, I think Latavius Murray is probably maybe the best among these guys for his price. Tony Pollard seems like the guy who we have been so hyped on for what feels like forever is probably two years or a year that like he has so much more name brand cachet than Madison, than Latavius Murray, that if, I don't think he's that much different than someone like Madison, like Murray. So I'll just take the cheaper of them. Like Tony Pollard to me is, is the premier brand, but they're going to produce the same as the Walgreens brand medicine. That is Latavius Murray in terms of like the real deep cuts Actually, Rashad Benny for me could have yeah. fallen in either of the talent or the opportunity. He's good. But like, he's good. He, I think he's good. I think he's good. He was a good college prospect. He's been up and down. Injuries have just destroyed his poor his poor career so far. But like, he can catch passes. He can run between the tackles. 
I think if anything were to happen to Chris Carson, he would be uh, uh, like monstrous. He would be the the Mike Davis of this year. He's got more of a name brand cachet than Mike Davis somehow, just because of that prior first round draft capital. He's, I think he's talented. I don't know. Maybe he's not talented, but I think he's talented. And more importantly, like this is like an offense that I don't think we uh, are, are super excited about. But Russell Wilson is not going to lead a bad offense. It's just not happening. Right. Like, I, I get that we're disappointed with how we assume they're going to be this, like, 1950s style. But Russell Wilson does not lead bad offenses. He might lead suboptimal offenses because of his coaching. But I still want to target players on the Seahawks. If I can get a player who, should Chris Carson go down, we've talked about him being injury prone. Not sure it really matters, but, you know, it can't hurt. That uh, if I can get a player who has any chance of stepping into a three-down role on a Russell Wilson offense for free, like, I'm going to look up underdog ADP. I'm scrolling. I'm, I'm not going to be able to find this guy. Let's see. Control. F because I'm not actually going to find him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's going like J- JD McKissick. Uh, Phil, oh, this is perfect. He's going. He's the back drafted before Philip Lindsay. I love oh Philip Lindsay. It's <laughs> never happening for Philip Lindsay. It could actually happen for Rashad Penny. So the obvious ones: Murray, Pollard, Madison. I think the sneakiest one of all though would be Rashad Penny, and he could even have his own role in, in the slightest bit, like we talk about with someone like Kareem Hunter, AJ Dillon. Yeah, second year in a row is these three guys, Pollard, Madison, Murray, yeah. because their backfields literally haven't changed. And I'm with you. I've been drafting Murray over Pollard in underdog because you get him two rounds later. Yep. He, we've actually, I mean, we've looked, both guys are going to be RB1s if Zeke or Kamara goes down. That's great. Murray actually gives us a better chance of having, you know, week to week just carries and stuff. When Taysom Hill was under center for those four games last year, it was Alvin Kamara with 50 carries, Latavius had 40, and Taysom had 39. Like, he, there's a reason why Kamara has never eclipsed 200 carries in a year they keep Latavius very involved so even a Pollard like I think is better than old I don't how old is Latavius at this point he's got to be uh, 30 31 I think Pollard's certainly better but hey they're getting the same roles and one guy's going two rounds later so I'm with you there Rashad Penny man I'm with you because if you actually go back the last time Penny was truly healthy, it wasn't for any of 2020, but in, 20, <laughs> in 2019, we had this two-week stretch against the Eagles and Vikings where it was literally like a 50-50 split, man, and it was in touches and receiving and snaps, whichever way you want to put it. They basically just rotated Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. I don't think that's going to be the case, but that's on the table. And once again, unlike Pollard, you have a great handcuff, and you also have a handcuff that's going to be able to potentially be a flex option in best-case scenarios. So, yeah, uh, last one, I would say Chuba Hubbard, maybe is the backup to Christian McCaffrey. I'm not positive. I know they still have, um, oh my gosh, who was the former college quarterback? Reggie Bonifon. Bonifon, yeah. But you know, he lost his job to Mike Davis pretty quickly. Yeah. And hey, Mike Davis is very good, but it wouldn't be out of the, you know, ex- it wouldn't be extraordinary for Hubbard to uh, take over Bonifon. So good stuff there. Moving on to some QB talk now. Got, uh, you know, some controversy going on in New Orleans. I had in my opinion, best uh, Saints reporter uh, in the world, Nick Underhill on this podcast back in March. And he was pretty confident that Jameis was going to be the guy. Now, okay, people, please don't hold anything like that against Nick. This is three months later. We get new information and we freaking change accordingly. Like anyone that wants to ignore new information to just fit whatever your priors were months ago, that's silly. And I don't even think it was, it might've been Nick, but it wasn't even Nick. I don't think that came through and said that it's actually looking like more of a QB competition than we expected. At a minimum, Kyle, I'm getting really worried that it's just, even if Jameis wins the job, we're going to see far more Taysom under center than we see in past years. What do you kind of make of this? Like, who do you see winning? And I guess, what does that mean for everybody involved? Yeah. So everything, like as soon as free agency started, essentially has said that they want Jameis to be the guy, which like, I don't, I don't get, I can't say I'm in the mind of these staffers in new Orleans. The fact that they played Taysom over Jameis last year to me would signal the opposite. But like clearly, they they're a team that has has no money. They have no money, and they still chose to bring Jameis back when they already saw Taysom as a starter. And he wasn't bad by any means. He's actually better than I thought he would be as a passer because he was not a good passer in college. So he he like exceeded my expectations. And they're still like, nope, we got to bring Jameis back. And then, like you said, Nick Underhill, I agree. I think he's probably the best uh, Saints beat. And all the other Saints beats too have continually said that like, nah, it's probably Jameis. You know, not committing hundred percent, but everyone seems to think that it's Jameis. I have no reason to not believe it. Their actions signing Jameis back when they have no money. And then all the reporters thinking that tells me it's going to be Jameis. I agree. If you were to look at this year versus you can't really say last year because Taysom actually got starts, but say the year before that, we're going to get more Taysom snaps by a pretty considerable margin. He's probably going to do the thing again, where he just crushes us. Like we're 
we're waiting Alvin Kamara you know it's like a showdown slate Alvin Kamara we're like ah two minutes left this touchdown puts me in first in the showdown slate and Taysom Hill strides onto the field and you just know it's already going down we're gonna see more of that probably but I do think for you know for projecting things you would say it's mostly Jameis like you still project Taysom for less than like two pass two or three pass attempts per game assuming he doesn't make any starts so (laughs) and Jameis is awesome so I think it's great for for all involved like I'm gonna have a lot of like Traquan Smith back back end uh back end of the entire draft every draft I'm in I think Michael Thomas is like probably he's not like a a great deep receiver it's not his specialty per se but like his stats it's a limited sample because he doesn't get used deep a ton but he looks no different than any of the other elite wide receivers when he's on deep throws like he is like really good on deep throws like really good on deep throws, just like any of the other elite wide receivers. He just hasn't gotten used in that way. Like, no kidding. Drew Brees is 40 and he's like dusted. Of course, he's not going to get used on deep throws. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think he's the greatest deep receiver in the league, but he's not bad at it by any means. So I think it could actually be like, like, of course, you're going to probably lose some receptions. But I think Michael Thomas can certainly offset that with like a higher yards per target yards per reception. Uh, maybe the only person who gets hurt by this is Alvin Kamara. But I think to me, Alvin Kamara is not a player who like his role is what made him good he is what made him good he earned his role he didn't just get bestowed this role sure his targets may become down a little bit but I think he's still Alvin Kamara I think this could be a very fun offense with Jameis like I think everything involved is going to be exciting sure you're going to lose like Taysom Hill's going to score six touchdowns this year and you're going to remember the one that cost you that you know that week week seven playing uh, someone from accounting who doesn't know anything about football you're going to lose that game because Taysom scores a touchdown but on the whole it's not bad enough that you don't want to invest in this offense so listeners of the show have heard me rant about the slant boy slander given to Michael Thomas plenty of times. So I will just say that Kyle hit the nail on the head and I won't go into that, you know, five minute spiel like I have many a time here on the PFF fantasy football podcast. Alvin Kamara is the question mark. And I was looking uh, today, I have an article coming out on him, I believe Sunday or Monday, but it just hasn't been great without Drew Brees out there. And I'm with you, man. He's still a top 10 RB1, like no doubt about it. I understand that. But it's the difference between maybe drafting him inside the top five and drafting him in that lower end of things. Because even without Taysom, man, we've had nine games now without Drew Brees over the past two years. And Kamara has had some pops, RB3, RB6, RB9 were his top three performances. Other than that, though, RB16, RB17, RB23, RB26, RB36, RB37. And with Teddy, he really had the target still. He only scored two touchdowns because the offense couldn't score more than 13 points in three of those five games. When Taysom was there, he really didn't have the targets. He kind of got bailed out in the last, not bailed out. He's a great running back, but he scored touchdowns. And that's kind of what kept him afloat and got him those top two finishes. So I guess the touchdowns are just the one thing that I think people are leaving out a little bit in this discussion with Kamara, because even if the, targets go down there's no like he's going to be the number two receiver in this offense I I really hope I mean in Taysom's four games last year it was Michael Thomas at 36 targets Manny Sanders at 17 and then Kamara at 15 so we need Jameis to feel really good about that I don't think it'll be that severe even if Taysom is back but I just wonder Kyle I mean he does not have the freakish three down Antonio Gibson, Cam Akers role in his range of outcomes. They've never given him even 200 carries. I don't know if he's going to catch 80 passes again, and I can almost guarantee you he's not going to score 21 touchdowns again. So I don't know, man. If Alvin Kamara and Jonathan Taylor just decide to play to their high-level talents that we all know they're capable of, I'm going to look like you know a pretty big idiot here this time next year. But I just think in terms of projecting the best possible roles and looking ahead at 2021, at a minimum, man, we have far more questions with Kamara than we've ever had before. Yeah. So I guess let's, uh, let's, let's put it on wax. Then where do you have him ranked? I have, so I think this is the one that people won't like. I have Ezekiel Elliott ranked over him. Like I think yes. Tony Pollard could honestly be better than Ezekiel Elliott. It won't matter. Like they're not benching Ezekiel Elliott. We saw like he was good when they had Dak Prescott and unsurprisingly you put Andy Dalton on the field. Like they started a guy named Ben DiNucci. Of course, <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott wasn't going to be good in that game. Like no kidding. He wasn't going to be able to overcome his offensive line, everyone getting hurt and Ben DiNucci being the starter. So you know, as much as I do think Alvin Kamara isn't awfully affected by this, like it, it did have me it, like I am concerned enough with Alvin Kamara that I at least got to the contrarian take uh, of Zeke over Kamara. Yeah, these are the guys I have ahead of him. McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Saquon, Derrick Henry, Zeke, 
Austin Eckler, who I think is should be projected Ooh. for almost the exact same role, except he's in a better offense. And Aaron Jones for right now, I, I think he could actually eat a lot of those targets Jamal had, and Dylan doesn't really touch that uh, quite as much. So if Aaron Rodgers leaves, I'll move Jones behind Kamara, and that would put him up to RB seven. But you know, it's what you know, it's it's crazy. You know, I, I'm quote unquote really off Kamara. I don't like him. He's my RB eight on the year. So. We'll see. That's what he that's what he has been when Drew Brees hasn't been the quarterback. We'll see if he keeps on keeping on a uh, similar, you know, quote unquote issue going on in San Francisco with the quarterbacks where, you know, if Jimmy G's there, it's probably going to be better for a lot of these uh, wide receivers and running backs involved just by virtue of him not being the same sort of mobile threat that Trey Lance is. Do you see this kind of almost being like a sneaky New Orleans situation where Trey Lance? I mean, if he's in there, it could be like Taysom Hill where he gets his. It just might be pretty tough for everybody else. Uh, yeah. So in terms of projecting things, that is exactly how I do think uh, it does become kind of difficult to get excited. That's the reason that uh, I think a lot of people reasonably so are going to have Darren Waller ahead of George Kittle. It's not because like I think George Kittle is as a very reasonable argument to the best tight end, like straight up as good Agreed. as Kelsey. It's hard to say. Uh, it's hard to say which one is better because Kelsey gets to play with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Kittle is play with Jimmy Garoppolo and a bunch of backups because Garoppolo can't stay healthy. I think those are probably the two best tight ends in the league. And I think Darren Waller is a step down from them but it doesn't matter. I'm talking about scoring fantasy points. And if Trey Lance is rushing 10 times a game, those are all like targets that aren't going to Kittle or anyone else. I think the offense will still score a, a really like a ton of points. Like they could be a top five offense. I think with Trey Lance, I project was probably a top 12 offense. I, I think this is kind of the way of the future. We see it with Lamar Jackson, like Lamar Jackson isn't the most gifted thrower. He's just impossible to defend. I think Trey Lance is going to be like that. But for fantasy purposes, we don't really love targeting the, the Ravens guys outside of Lamar Jackson because they just don't get the, the volume we need. You have to get these 9% touchdown rate seasons from Lamar Jackson to actually want to target Mark Andrews or Marquise Brown. So, yeah, I think Jimmy Garoppolo for if you are, you know, Brandon Ayuk bag holder, you would want Jimmy Garoppolo to start as many games as possible. I just can't see that happen. You don't trade the future. Like, you know, it's not like Mac, you know, Mac Jones falls to the Patriots and like, yeah, we can, we can slow play this. It's not this crazy investment. The Patriots waste first round picks all the time. They're <laughs> fine with sitting on Mac Jones for a year. I don't think it'll be that long, but they could do that. You're not doing that with Trey Lance. It's just not happening. You don't trade up to number three to sit Trey Lance for more than honestly like three games. Like the first time they lose, they're going to get knocked off by some middle of the road team on their, on week three. And that's it. And then the, the whole, the whole gig is up. Trey Lance comes in. The offense is very exciting, but it's not the volume we want. And I think Trey Lance is the best target of everyone on the team. Like the, the weapons aren't as good as we want. Trey Lance is even better than we expect. Trey Lance is the guy you want from the San Francisco 49ers yep. in fantasy. Case closed. 100% agree. This is your weekly reminder that for some messed up reason, Trey Sermon has a higher ADP than Raheem Mostert over an underdog. Again, the 49ers number three running back at the moment has a higher ADP than Raheem freaking Mostert, who in the year 2020 went for over 200 yards and four touchdowns in a little thing called the NFC Championship. So continue to draft Mostert. If you call yourself a zero RB aficionado and do not draft Raheem Mostert, I will take that as a personal insult. Moving on here. Actually, last thing I want to say real quick. I... What do we think about Ayuk versus Debo? Because I think Ayuk is the better pure receiver. They use him as more of a, you know, lineup on the outside. When you're out, go beat your freaking man. Debo Samuel had more yards after the catch than receiving yards last year. They basically use him, you know, as pop pass. Let's get him the ball almost like a running back. He gets legit carries sometimes as a running back. Are we underestimating the potential for Debo? Because I've, I've had Ayuk ahead of Debo and they're close, but I think maybe Debo should almost deserve to go higher because with Jimmy or with Lance, I don't really see his role changing all that much. He's going to get his and they're going to be these sort of passes that anybody can pull off. Whereas Ayuk, that could be the issue where if we see that quarterback switch. I, I think you're right. I agree with you uh, in terms of the, where your rankings stand right now. Brandon Ayuk plays a traditional wide receiver role. Yeah. Debo Samuel plays a running back who gets lots of targets out of the backfield role. He's incredible at that. But like, we're not clamoring to draft J.D. McKissick. You know, these aren't yeah, the guys. These true. are the guys you fill out the back of your roster with. I think Debo Samuel is obviously more than that. But that is like a reasonable comparison to make to his role. And you don't want your receiver to be playing that kind of role. You want them going downfield. Like air yards are going to equal actual yards at some point. Yeah. And Debo Samuel, for as many yards after the catch he gets, like he'd get a lot more total yards if he actually moved down the field. So, no, I think based on their roles, uh, you're, you're right in where you stand now. I would not adjust your ranks too much more than, you know, they're close to me too. Like, I don't think they're that yeah. much farther because Debo Samuel does rack up tons of yak, but at the end of the day, like I I'm looking for the best way to project fantasy points and like air yards are going to be a better way to do that than hoping Debo Samuel can continue to break these really long runs after the catch.
Yeah, I, I think I had both guys in my top 30 wide receivers before going through my tiers article and then just realizing like, no, I, I kind of want Cortland Sutton ahead of these guys. I want Robbie Anderson ahead of these guys. So ultimately they landed in my tier five. It's unfortunate there's only one football to go around because truly like both these guys, including Ayuk, man, I know Ayuk almost got overshadowed because of how good like Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, Chase Claypool, some of these other uh, rookie receivers were last year, but Ayuk really has a chance. And that's what uh, your your new uh, coworker, Pat Karain, was saying on this podcast as well. Like Ayuk does have a chance if he gets the targets to kind of take that leap up and join uh, I think again an exceptional rookie class from 2020 among the wide receivers last QB note here we mentioned it before but Mac Jones Cam Newton basically same thing like let's say I, I think we can kind of see this coming like he even though the Patriots, you're right, haven't been exactly the league's best first-round drafting team over the years, I don't think they drafted Mac Jones to roll the dice too much longer with Cam. It's going to be a completely different offense, so why would you kind of do that? So let's say Cam, you know, just is out of the starting lineup within a month. Which Patriots do you think would immediately be seeing the largest rank uh, difference depending on the change in QB? I think it has to be Damian Harris because Cam Newton is literally yeah. goal line back. Like who yeah. else would it be? Like, of course, like the receivers are helped, but the receivers aren't gaining all of the touchdown work by Cam Newton exiting the lineup. Whereas Damian Harris, I mean, unless, you know, Sony Michelle unseats and Michelle wasn't terrible last year, but for now, let's assume it's Damian Harris. I think all of the running backs in general outside of James White, because he's hardly a running back. They get some sort of touchdown upside that they do not have in any absolute terms with Cam Newton in the lineup. So sure, the receivers are helped by having a quarterback who's willing to actually stay in the pocket and throw. That's nice, but you're going to Mac Jones. You're not going to, yeah. you know, to this all-star level quarterback. <laughs> Whereas you are just picking up all of the touchdowns that the, the all the rushing touchdowns, at least, in the offense, if you're Damian Harris. So for me, it's him and it's not really close unless, you know, you're like a, a, a sick closeted Sony Michelle truther. And then sure, you can make that argument for him too. But it's the running backs who actually rush the football. Well, and here's the thing, man. I That was my original hesitation with Damian Harris. Like, okay, I see the path to a bunch of success, but people were talking about him having the Sony Michelle role. And like, well, Sony Michelle is still on the roster. With that said, per our friend from Underdog uh, Underdog Fantasy, Josh Norris, you know, he had a great podcast a couple of weeks ago with a lot of beat writers from around the industry coming on and talking. Sony Michelle could be a guy that gets cut in August, actually. So if you take Sony Michelle out of the picture, if you take Cam Newton out of the picture, yeah, all of a sudden Damian Harris is looking at potentially 200, 250 carries and all the goal line touches he can eat. So he's someone right now going behind James Robinson on underdog people. I love James RB one son. You guys love him. We all love him. It's not going to work. They love Travis Etienne. That's what matters. So draft Damian Harris over James Robinson and you will not be sorry. Hey people, if you're enjoying our coverage here on fantasy football, please check out the rest of our PFF podcast network, which covers everything NFL college and fantasy football. You can recap the NFL draft with Mike Renner and Austin Gales two for one drafts podcast, or get all the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. Also, please check out PFS 2021 best ball draft kit. We have two rankings to projections to targetable stacks the season's favorable matchups the only resource you'd ever need to wreck havoc across best ball formats all summer long kyle i've done this read like four times now is it wreck havoc or wreak havoc it's reek it's gotta be reek. oh man all right well <laughs> sorry everybody you're gonna be hearing me mispronounce that a couple of times reek havoc we'll work on that pff's 2021 best ball draft kick is wreaking havoc around the industry make sure you check that out three more questions everybody and we are getting to true off-season dead times here. Big Ben said Najee Harris is going to be something to see in 2021. Kyle, just how high are we comfortable drafting this dude? Because it seemed like after the draft, I was almost in the minority saying like he's going to be an RB one sooner rather than later. I haven't quite put him up there yet. I have him still in kind of, I have him right behind Antonio Gibson, basically in that borderline RB one tier. What are you thinking of Najee right now? And are, could we be underestimated? Because we, we always talk about volume and historically we haven't seen anyone get more volume than Steelers RB one. It is like uh, I'm always, you know, at the end of the day, volume is going to predict fantasy points better than anything else. And I'm like, give me all that volume. And then someone's like, what about all this volume on the Steelers? I'm like, whoa, whoa not that volume, <laughs> dude, not that one. Uh, yeah, I, I think I have him at probably the same spot. I actually haven't had a Gibson right now, and I might change that because uh, nice. I, I think – the, like the, the touches, the baseline median projection of touches for Najee Harris is probably like top 10 at, at a minimum. Like it really could be top five instantly. But man, like uh, this Pittsburgh offense, the floor on it seems like like legitimately terrible team. Like Ben Roethlisberger looks to be just like trotting out the corpse of his arm every single week. They had to like redesign, like maybe this isn't why they did it, but it would seem to, to fit the narrative. They had to redesign the offense to be the most bland, like short routes, unexciting offense just to compensate for his inability to throw deep. It would seem like, and their offensive line, which last year was deteriorating, lost their best players. Like they're returning like two or three starters and it's not the good ones. It's not the ones you want to be <laughs> returning. So I don't know. Like that's why I think I have them as, 
you know, a borderline RB one, but the, the exciting upside guys for me are, are going to be where I look like, you know, your Gibsons. I think even Joe Mixon has a better upside that the Cincinnati offense could be good. I, I'm not as high on it as other people, but it could be good. I just don't see a way that this Pittsburgh offense really ever returns like a top 10 points per game season at this yeah. point with Ben Rosberg under center, just the overall offensive line deterioration. And now their commitment to the run. The one thing you have to give them credit for last year is that they couldn't run the football and they did not try. Yeah. Now this year, they might not be able to run the football, but they might still force it. So uh, I think because of this volume, at the end of the day, most of what we're chasing is volume. I have him just outside. It's my RB13. He's just outside of the RB1 tier. He could certainly creep in with a season where he returns like two top five weeks, but is in that 12 to 25 range almost every other week. So for that reason, you know, borderline RB1, I'm taking the upside guys ahead of him. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, take him hundred percent. Take him ahead of him every single week. Antonio Gibson, I'll adjust my ranks. Take him ahead. Take him ahead. Like <laughs> Austin Ackler, Austin Ackler, take him ahead. All these guys. Ooh. He is the least exciting of the most volume. He might just like end up catching a ton of checkdowns that we don't really see coming. They didn't really have that running back they were comfortable in last year. That's why we saw Juju and Deontay just eat all these targets underneath. So yeah, Najee, pure volume. We at least need to kind of treat him like we were treating James Robinson. I mean, I get it. Steelers offensive line, not looking great. Team, not looking great. Offense, not looking great. All those factors were true for James Robinson last year, and he was still an RB1 because of the volume. So I would just, you know, see where you had James Robinson ranked before the draft, and if that's too far removed from where Najee is right now, you should probably shrink that gap just a little bit kyle it is june 4th and zach Ertz, the trade deadline continues on we got reports saying that multiple suitors are interested i don't really believe it but it is what it is give me three teams if you can get there maybe just one or two where you'd actually be willing to invest in Ertz in 2021 because i got the two and i honestly couldn't get three so tough question on my part i, I literally did the same thing i was like <laughs> you really like do i have to answer this like he was so bad last year like i get his quarterback play, like, his quarterback play was not good either direction you know the whatever games he played with Jalen Hurts, whatever games you play with Carson Wentz, absolutely not the quarterback play you want to see. But like 4.7 yards per target, I think is like one of the worst marks since they've been tracking targets since like 1992. It was so bad. And he's never been hyper efficient. He's been a guy who just gets what gets what he gets. He's he's open in the middle of the field and gets that. And that's about it. Never, you know, his first season was the only season above eight yards per target. And it's fallen or, or flatlined in one, two, three, four, five. Literally, it's literally only gone down for the past five years. I just don't think he was ever incredible. He was good at what he did, but that's kind of a, a limited skill set just to get open in the pockets of zone defenses or whatever. Shake, shake men behind you, but then don't outrun them when they chase you down. And now he probably isn't even like modestly athletic relative to his peers, of course, anymore. I don't know. Dallas, I thought was a really interesting one. Like, uh, or uh, is he even better than Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin? I don't know. But if you trade for him, that's probably your belief. So anyone in the Dallas offense, I, I'd be buying Buffalo, they like, I think Dawson Knox was an interesting prospect because he wasn't super productive, but like you look at the old Miss teams he played on, he was literally playing with some of the best receivers to come out in the past few years. So of course he wasn't going to be productive, but he's done nothing. So I can't really, you know, fall back on that too hard. Zachers, if you trade for him again, you're starting him. So the, the number one unquestioned tight end in Buffalo, sure. Like, that's it. It's those two. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess like Arizona is kind of interesting. They have like no tight ends Max Williams, I think is their starting tight end high play volume. But like, again, it's just like, is he really going to draw targets away from, I don't know, for them, it'd be Rondale Moore or something for, for Dallas, it'd be Michael Gallup. He's not going to target over Michael Gallup. Yeah. So I don't know at, at bargain bin prices, I could invest if he goes to Buffalo, if he goes to Dallas, if he goes to Arizona, but it's for nothing. He is like my last, last pick. And even then it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I took Dak Prescott. I want to make this stack. He's available in the 18th round. Sure. I'll throw a flyer on it, but I, I probably never get to a point where I'm taking him above ADP. It's just, he's, he's just probably washed. So like, are we take are we excited to take AJ green? Where could AJ green have landed where we were excited? Doesn't matter. Not anywhere. We're not drafting. Doesn't, doesn't yeah, that Zach Ertz falls in that bin for me. I don't know, maybe he rounds out a Dallas stack for me if he gets there. It's like you said, how many teams can you even name? I got to like kind of two. <laughs> it needs to be like the best sit, like a, a great passing game that apparently trusts him enough. So we might as well. But even then, man, I, I think I'm just out on him wherever. Like, yeah, I want to again, I want to be ages this year. And my players that I'm just not touching no matter when they become a value because they're old. AJ Green, Larry Fitzgerald, who I guess might be retired. So I'll consider taking him off. 
T.Y. Hilton, Manny Sanders, Marvin Jones, David Johnson, Mark Ingram, AP, Frank Gore, Zach Ertz, Rob Gronkowski, and Jared Cook. Remember, this is not just because they're old. Tom Brady is not on this list. It's because they have looked old on the field, and I want yes. to get out a year early versus a year too late. Only, uh, I guess, other notes I would say with the Zach Ertz thing. No, the Cardinals as well. I wake up every morning and I just hope that Zach Ertz hasn't gone to Jets yet and ruined my Chris Herndon comeback season pipe dream. So far, so good. I'm not going with people. Don't worry. And, you know, maybe the Colts and reuniting with Carson Wentz. Although I can't, like, I feel like Carson would, like, just throw a fit if they brought uh, Ertz back because you said it, man. Last year was brutal. And as, you know, our friend over at, on Twitter, at Zach Ertz Yak loves to point out yes. Zach Ertz never tends to break tackles. Please follow him, people. That's one of the best. Twitter Such a good account. I, I was hoping you'd bring it up. Every time he just catches a ball, it just tweets no. Like he did not break a tackle. And occasionally, maybe every once in the blue moon, you'll see it. And then it'll be a fun, fun time. So at Zach Ertz Yak, always appreciate that, dude. Kyle, last question. You've been fantastic, my man. We know late round tight ends usually suck, but you could imagine this is kind of the point in the year where we start talking ourselves into all these, you know, just tight end 20, 25 range guys. And that's how, you know, I ended up with a bunch of best ball teams with Jay Sternberger, Chris Herndon, Blake Jarwin last year. The Jarwin one would have worked out without injury, but yeah. regardless, which guys outside, we'll say the top 15, could you see being like a legit tight end one if things break their way? I think he's just outside the top 15, but Anthony Burks, like I, he's been good every time. Like he had the one game where Joni Smith got hurt in game and it was, I I believe it was Tennessee versus Houston. And it was the game you wanted to stack of that week. Like you just needed to have every single piece of that, but you didn't know it was going to be Ferkser because Jonu Smith went down immediately. And Anthony Ferkser took on his role immediately and looked great. It was a hundred yard game. And it was the, it was one more 100 yard game that I believe Jonu Smith produced last year. Like, like I, I think given just the complete depravity of everyone behind AJ Brown in this offense, which is also a good reason to have AJ Brown as the wide receiver one overall, not, yeah, you know, but not that that's part of the question but, <laughs> in case we're, in case we need to bring that up, uh, given just the overall state of like, like Josh Reynolds, uh, like, like, I don't know, it's like Jeff Swain still in this roster. Like I have no clue. Like, like, uh, like what does Fitzpatrick or whatever they didn't, they made just no, they did not care. Did they know, like, did they just not call Corey Davis and ask him what he was up to? He's like, Oh yeah, I signed with the jets. And they're like, Oh, we need to draft someone. Did they not make it. that call? Yeah. He's missed it. You know, he left a voicemail saying he signed somewhere else and they don't check their voicemail anymore. Cause it's 2021. They just have no one to throw to, but I still believe that they're going to be probably, probably not as efficient as, as the past two years. Uh, outside of the Marcus Mariota games, probably not Ryan Tannehill as efficient in the past two years because losing Arthur Smith certainly is not a good thing. It's definitely going to be difficult. But Ryan Tannehill's undoubtedly a good quarterback. In fact, he's probably like a top 10 quarterback. He's athletic. He has like a, an arm that can hit all depths of the field. He's accurate. Like he has at least one top elite weapon. It's still going to be an offense that we want to attack for at least their efficiency purposes. I think you're going to get like a reasonable touchdown season and maybe even like a good target reception season from Anthony Berkser. It's just attacking pieces of efficient passing attacks, especially when there's volume to go around. And there's plenty of volume here. Yeah, I'm looking at the underdog ranks right now, and I'm seeing Mike Jasicki, Robert Tunyon, Evan Ingram ahead of them. None of those guys, people like Tunyon, maybe it's he's in a weird spot with the whole Rogers thing kind of up in the air. I mean, he's he'll move up if we know Rogers is back, but Mike Jasicki. He's a slot receiver, and they just drafted Jalen Waddle six overall to play him in the slot. I, I love what Jasicki can do, but let's face it, he's right there in that Devontae Parker pool, too, where guys would have been, that would have been better off catching passes from Fitzpatrick as opposed to Tua. Evan Ingram, people, we just saw Daniel Jones and Kyle Rudolph hanging out, I think, at the Knicks game together. It's over. It's over, everybody. I'm sorry, but the Evan Ingram comeback season is over. Yeah, I'm with you. Ferkser, right behind him is Adam Troutman. I think between them, it's an interesting conversation because Troutman uh, showed a little bit more ability as a blocker. I think He'll play more snaps than Ferkser, whether that leads to more targets or not. Uh, we'll kind of see how that goes. Moving down on the list just a little bit more. Gerald Everett, man, if he can just get that full-time job in Seattle, which isn't for sure. They've always rotated the guy, but I've always maintained uh, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. If we could ever just get either of these guys one tight end to play the whole year, 10 touchdowns every freaking time. And also Cole Komet, who... It's annoying. Jimmy Graham's right there with Jameson Crowder, where I don't know why they haven't been cut yet because it wasn't yep. a June 1st thing. They're just still staying on the roster. It would make sense. At least Jameson still. Crowder's good, though. Like, fair, fair. Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham. Like, it's surprising that Jameson Crowder hasn't been cut given the team saying, like, they've literally said they want to cut him almost. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, it, like, you're like, ah, I get why they want to cut him. He's expensive. He doesn't fit in the long term outlook. I'm surprised he hasn't been cut. I'm just flabbergasted Jimmy Graham hasn't been cut because he's also expensive, but bad. <laughs> 
he makes like three pretty dope, like contested red zone catches a year. And that's not enough to be called anything other than bad. So his last bro, Mr. Trubisky's last though of his career. If you guys stuck around for the last play of that, you know, Nickelodeon broadcast, the Nickelodeon game, Trubisky threads it in between like three defenders. Graham takes a hellacious hit, but comes down with the touchdown and then just runs off the field. So like that that, that needs to be his last moment with the bears. If it's not, I'm going to be pissed. And with all that said, Cole Komet, Assuming Jimmy Graham goes, he's going to be someone that's going to be rising if, uh, you know, eventually Jimmy Graham is out of the picture. And even if he's not, I mean, we saw yes. him really from week 10 on last season. He played at least 70% of the snaps in every game. The last three weeks, it was closer to 90% to 100. So I think they know what they have with Komet. They're kind of – ideally, we don't want Graham coming in stealing any red zone targets. But even without that, I think Komet would be the fancy tight end to own, and he could at least beat this, you know, kind of sub-20 ADP he's flirting with at the moment so hey people if you want to go try your hand and you like commit you like you know austin hooper for some reason hell maybe you're eating the chris herndon final round draft pick like i've been trying to do you can do that over at underdog fantasy underdog's got everything including season long and playoff best ball best ball is a season long game we draft a team like you normally do but that's it there's no one season roster management underdog automatically selects your best performers each week saving you loads of time so go to underdog fantasy and deposit ten dollars using promo code pff get a free pff edge annual subscription with promo code pff draft now at underdog fantasy kyle thank you so much for the time brother everyone can find you on twitter at kyle tweets here let them know what you got going over at nbc sports edge that's like the first time i've actually called him that but i'll be nice to you here <laughs> yeah uh, yeah follow me on twitter i'll tweet out all the links i have uh you know we'll start having uh yeah like you said it's the middle of summer but that's fine like we are probably a month away from really feeling like it's football season. So we'll probably be really getting fired up here. We'll have the magazine coming out soon, which we've all been kind of busting to get out. So yeah, just follow me on Twitter and you'll find everything I'm doing there. Great stuff. Again, Kyle tweets here. Of course, you can find me at iheartitspff.com and right here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And good news, everybody. I got a haircut, so you can stop making fun of you know me on Twitter every time one of the videos comes up Kyle one of the things I love man well I don't actually love it it kind of annoys me but when the PFF uh fancy or regular account sends out the you know quotes from the podcast or article and so what I've realized is if I say you know something dumb people immediately call it out and tell me how dumb it is but if I even if I say something right something that everyone agrees with the conversation changes to someone pulling up like my headshot they're just like oh I'm gonna take advice from this freaking guy like come on like what do I need do I need like a better mustache or something? Like I, I'm going to put through some new head picks and just make them as quirky and whatever as possible, I guess, because you know what I'm losing as it is Kyle. And I guess, you know, we got to work on the face that the fantasy takes are uh, going through. So it's a, it's an ongoing quest, man. I, maybe I should get the ponytail going like you. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. Uh, this look doesn't help with people saying <laughs> you look like an idiot. I can tell you that it's not the path to go. It's so funny because this thing, yeah, real quick. I was just saying, I was looking at your Twitter before we started. And I was crying at the one dude that like was trying to make fun of uh, Roto Pat for looking like a 12 yes. year old. That dude has longer hair and a big ass beard. Like, come on, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like he was like, am I, yeah, I was, I was literally about to bring this story up. He's like, am I going to take advice from this 12 year old? And then I link one of the, the mid season Roto Pat 70 cop, like seventies cop mustache looks. And I'm like, you think this is a 12 year old? Like, what are they feeding the 12 year olds where you live? They're just, they're in the HGH factories, just working on the floor. All right. That's enough hair talk for everybody out there. Thank you for appeasing me here in the final minutes of the pod. He's Kyle. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody. 